Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, episode number 134. Wow, that's a good track record. We're, uh, we're getting up there, aren't we? Yeah. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. First up, let's talk about PRISM. Now, Brett, you and I have been uh, been chit-chatting about this before before we kicked in. Can you give sort of an overview of uh, of what Prism's all about and why there's been so much of a, uh, a hullabaloo in the media about it over the last few days? Sure. So first off, I'd like to make a shout-out to President Obama, who's probably listening, um, surreptitiously. Um, so Prism, Prism um, is probably, in my humble opinion, the biggest, most impactful technology-related news story I think I can ever think of. Um, from the point of view of what's come out so far, from the implications that it could have further down the track for cloud computing, the internet, privacy, government relations, inter-country relations and a whole bunch of other things, it's absolutely massive. And in a nutshell, it would appear that uh, if everything that's been published so far is 100% true, and no doubt it's probably not, uh, that the American government has for the past six uh, to seven years been listening in on pretty much every uh, bit of traffic that there is out there on the internet, certainly uh, stuff being transacted in the USA. Um, the the worst case scenario of the story is that the um, communications from Microsoft, Facebook, Google, um, Apple. Apple have all been compromised, mm. um, that things that people were thought were private and protected by 256-bit encryption, etc., um, haven't been, and that all of that information has been uh, not just looked at and analysed, but stored away for future reference, which makes for some interesting revisionary history issues further down the track. Uh, and all of this has been um, announced or, or um, released by a guy by the name of, I think, Edward Snowden, who's a 20-something-year-old contractor working for Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, who were contracting to the um, NSA, the National Security Agency in the United States. Big news. Yes, yeah, so um, now uh, Edward's noted being the, I guess the uh, the whistleblower, as they as they say. Uh, what what do you think is actually going to happen to him? I mean, he's released a whole bunch of information. We've had you know various media pick up on it, uh, and in a in a range of uh, ways. The I guess some of the initial information uh, it's now reported maybe wasn't accurate, but I mean it's really hard to to know uh, you know what the full story is here because it's not likely to be made uh, public in its entirety uh, but uh, I mean he, he's potentially in a, in, a, in a huge lot of uh, hot water if we look at uh, you know the court court case going on at the moment uh, in regard to uh, Bradley Manning uh, Bradley Manning and, uh, and and WikiLeaks in the in the US uh, is this a similar sort of scale I mean Bradley Manning they're saying uh, you know could be uh, you know in the worst case scenario could be locked away for the rest of his life yeah well I think even the death penalty uh, might apply to Bradley Manning because he put um people in danger with some mm. of the names that got released. I, I, I don't know what the bigger picture will look like, but, you know, if Edward Snowden turned up mysteriously dead in a wood somewhere tomorrow morning, I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised. If you look at, remember that case a couple of years ago in the UK where that uh, guy that worked for MI5 or one of those organisations mysteriously turned up strangely dead in weird circumstances. You know, funny things happen to people that work in those industries. Um and interestingly, I think it was yesterday or the day before, there was a, a fascinating tweet that I picked up somewhere that someone was at a security-related conference in the United States and they were um, at a break um, and surrounded by a whole bunch of people that this person knew worked for, I can't remember, 
NSA or CIA or something, and those people were talking openly about the fact that, that Edward Snowden need to be, quote, needed to be, quote, disappeared, unquote. So, uh, you know, I would imagine that there won't be too many insurance companies that will be willing to take a policy out in his life at the moment. Um, and I think the fact that he's become very public very quickly and made it very clear where he is, although he's vanished from his hotel, um, having checked out first, of course, because you don't want the, the room service um, charges. Um, I, I would imagine, you know, he's doing everything he can to um, stay around for as long as possible. But, you know, as I said, weird things happen to those people. And that's, I mean, who knows? Even Look, even if 10% of the stuff that's come out so far is true, it, it's absolutely massive. And I think, just as an aside, one of the things that's really interesting about all of this is there's been a whole lot of pointers to this in the past. It's not like the story's popped up and everyone's gone, well, gee, that was a bit of a shock. You know, there was um, the Room 641A story that Wired published back in 2006, something mm. like that, um, talking about the NSA installing a room in an um, AT&T building in um, San Francisco and uh, supposedly skimming... Um, all the traffic out of that facility. That's right, listening in on yeah, and whatever data was uh, was moving through. And there's this great quote that I just found earlier from um, uh, a guy by the name of Senator Ron Wyden, and this is in May 2011 when he was talking about uh, reauthorising of a, a piece of legislation called Section 215, which is the legislation under which supposedly the um, court orders had been granted to secure the information from the Googles, Microsofts, Facebooks and Apples of this world. Um, and, and it's an amazing quote. He says, um, I want to deliver a warning this afternoon. When the American people find out how their government has secretly interpreted the Patriot Act, they will be stunned and they will be angry. And that was May 2011. That's a long time back. That's two mm. years ago. Mm. Boy, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty major, uh, you know, stuff if they really are able to uh, you know, listen in on, on the communications at the level that has been, uh, has been d- discussed. Um, linking back to a New Zealand uh, situation, you know, we, we were talking about what the uh, what the consequences you know might be for leaking this sort of information. Uh, there was a a, um, a film made in New Zealand called Spooked back uh, nine years ago. Now I don't know if you ever saw this, uh, no, Brett, uh, but it was based on a um, on a on a um, was it, uh, done by Jeff Murphy. That it was based yep. on a book. Uh, by uh, Ian Wishart around a um, it's, it was the book was called the Paradise uh, Conspiracy, and it was around some um, data that I think uh, came through on some secondhand uh, discs uh, some you know some years back, and uh, there was all sorts of confidential stuff on right. on these discs, this. and yeah. Uh, yeah the the guy that actually had all this stuff uh, ended up I th- uh, in the in the film anyway, and I haven't read the book, but in the film uh, there was a mysterious car accident and uh, and he died. Yeah, uh, and this is he obviously a, a much a much smaller scale yeah. you know situation. Uh, you know who knows the exact uh, circumstances behind that, but it, it seems uh, you know pretty likely that I, this guy is in a is in a is in a um, world of trouble yeah in a, in a whole spot of bother it, it's um, quite interesting at the moment the um uh, i saw something a couple of hours back that was saying that uh, doing the twitter analysis that um the word patriot is being used in more tweets about this guy than traitor which is a very interesting um thing i, I think it was probably the other way around with bradley manning but mm, mm. The, the implications of this are absolutely huge so again let's just assume 10 or 15 or 20 percent of it is correct um Every government on the planet right now and every large corporation on the planet right now that is not headquartered in the USA is probably seriously rethinking their cloud computing strategies. 
um, you know, all of those people out there using, and it doesn't really matter whose stuff, whether it's Apple's cloud offerings, Google's, Microsoft's, Amazon, uh, Amazon's, yeah. any anybody's. Um, what's up in that cloud? You know, um, are you are you happy for the American government to potentially have access to all of that stuff? So that's an interesting question for corporations. You imagine um, for governments who've who've you know spent quite a bit of time thinking around the whole cloud thing. You know, data sovereignty has always been an important thing, and and and, and obviously still is. A lot of the governments have really got over that thing and and, and moving quite quickly. Um, you know, the New Zealand government, the British government, and others in, into the cloud. What what happens now? Let's just say. If you've got a government agency or or a quasi government agency using a, a US headquartered cloud based service, um, do those governments you know outside of the USA want the you know want Barack Obama reading their their emails? I, you know, so I think from the point of view of the ripples um, of how far this could spread, it could spread a hell of a long way. Yeah. Uh, the, there's so much really that's that's unknown of this, and I'm not sure what will and won't uh, you know actually come out. But you know, I think it's it's fair to say that uh, you know anything that uh, that goes via the US at this stage, we can't be uh, we can't be confident that it's safe. And uh, you know, as you say, even broader cloud services that may be owned by US companies but not based out of the US, uh, there's there's plenty of risk there too. Yeah, and and the. Um I think it'll take a long time for a lot of this stuff to play out. You know, there's been a, an absolute element of trust, I think, inherent in a lot of cloud-based services. People have thought, you know, realised that you probably can do some of these things, but the, hopefully no one would do some of these things. Um, just breaking that, and you know how trust is, right? It takes years to build it and a millisecond to lose it. I think that loss of trust um, will have a lot of implications and it will have a lot of people rethinking their their, their plans about, you know, what they'll do, how how they'll do things. I would imagine that New Zealand-based cloud services providers will be getting a lot of phone calls over the next few weeks. You know, the datacoms and OneNets and those guys will mm, be getting a mm. lot of calls from people saying, "What if we moved out of Office 365 and and had our Exchange service sitting at your place or whatever it might be?" And and it might just be a paranoia thing, but I think there's definitely the potential to kind of upset the apple cart. For, for a bunch of people, you know, so. it does, and it just you know it just puts that uncertainty into the back yeah. of people's mind, and uh, you know, obviously it depends on the sort of information that people are storing, what sort of uh, business they're in, and 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 what they're doing. But uh, yeah, the, this sort of knowledge, I think, is is really going to shape people, and and it's quite incredible, really, when you step right back and look at it. You know, to the, September the eleventh um, was a was a horrible, terrible terrorist event. But if you have a look at the way in which the United States has changed, and that particularly the United States, um, but also the Western world has changed in that time, um, the United States has just taken some massive retrograde steps. They, you know, the land of the brave and home of the free. It's now like Soviet Russia was twenty or thirty years ago. You know, you couldn't imagine a more surveilled state. Uh, and honestly, if someone had to said to you back in the let, let's say the late nineteen nineties that you know, by 2013 this is what the United States would look like that would just wouldn't have even made a movie because it would have been so far-fetched no one would ever have bought the you know, bought the screen rights and, and it's just amazing how things have turned around Yeah well it, it is pretty scary when, when you think about what the potential is for you know, how this, this sort of grip on information uh, you know, what, it, what it could lead to I remember being in, uh, in Russia some years ago and uh, you know, I had some people that visited me in Moscow from, from another, um, another city 
and uh, all the sort of paperwork and so on that they had to go through to visit Moscow and then to actually be able to uh, get accommodation. They had to, you know, prove all sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, it was like, wow, this this is really, really crazy. Uh, you know, but actually the sort of information now that we're talking about uh, that the U.S. government, you know, possibly has, um, they would know, a, you know, a whole lot more uh, than than what was ever known by uh, uh, you know by the Russian government at at, at that point in uh, in time. I, I think it's absolutely incredible. I mean, there's a story floating around yesterday that um, credit card details are one of the things that the government's also tapped into. Um, and there's a great story, I, and I found it off Reddit and the technology subreddit today, just talking about. Um, imagine a world where all of this information isn't just um, surveilled at the at the time, but is actually stored. And imagine going back and reviewing what you've done for the last seven years, um, everything, every piece of communication, everything, every transaction you've made with a credit card, every flight you've made and all those other things, and how it would not be difficult to potentially accuse people of doing things that they hadn't, but by stitching various things together, you could almost create situations. You could, create, you could easily create a story. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, I think, again, that's just one of the frightening things about this. And, and there are... Even if you take this story out of it, the events of the last week or so out of it, there are so many pointers now that kind of point to it. You know, from the point of view, the the NSA built, have been building out a massive data centre over the last few years, and that's been a well-reported story. The Room 641A story, this quote that I just read from this US senator, there's a whole lot of other stories out there. The um, Electronic Freedom um, Foundation, EFF.org, mm. they've been quite vociferous around um, some of the things going on out there. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, at times have been pointed to as being kind of scaremongers or, or tinfoil hat-wearing people. Now with this story popping up in the middle of them, they've all kind of been pointing to this big dark void in the middle. And mm. I th- again, going back to even if 10% of it is bang on, it's an incredibly frightening scenario. Mm. And I think we'll, we'll have, you know, implications that will ripple through for decades. Um, so as I said right at the beginning when we started talking, I think this is the biggest technology-related story from the point of view of impact ever mm. i'm not sure there's been a bigger one well i'm just hoping that it it ends up not having the sort of impact that it you know that yeah. it potentially could and that the response to it that that comes from the public in general is enough to actually push back and lead to some change within the u.s and well, within other governments worldwide because uh you know th- there's been quite a movement here you know in new zealand around you know various things that, that have happened with gcsb um Obviously, the you know what Kim dot com has been, yep. been been doing, uh, you know, there's actually been uh, you know a, a lot of a stir, uh, but this needs to happen on a much more uh, you know on a much more global basis if there's going to be uh, if there's going to be some some major change. Well, Kim dot com came out um, yesterday or the day before and um, said that he thinks the time has come for the EU to look at providing creating an alternative to Google. Mm. Now that's a really interesting comment and I think if he had said that three weeks ago everyone would have laughed and, and thought that was a bit strange now it looks like a pretty darn good idea and and again I just think you know the US has built up this massive technological lead a- across online properties I mean I can't even think of a large European headquartered technology cloud firm there will be one but I, it's not coming to me immediately they're all hatched in Silicon Valley 
you know, headquartered in Silicon Valley or thereabouts. You know, the infrastructure is there. That's where they roll out first. That's where their user base kicks off. And if they don't start there, they end up getting bought out they, by one of the US firms and, and, and ending up there, right? Exactly. And now all of a sudden, maybe that's going to change. I don't know. And um, wow, you know, that's a pretty big sea change in, in, in the technology world. So, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. And I, I think, you know, we ain't seen nothing yet. I'm, I'm sure if... if the um, Edward Snowden is still around and alive and kicking, which I'm hopefully cer- is. certainly hoping so. Um, I'm sure there's more of the story to come out yet. And, and my understanding is that the way in which he's leaked this information, I think to the Guardian, um, he has been very, very careful to scrub um, key information out of it that could put people in danger. Um, which was, I think, the mistake that Brad. Yeah, he, made. he did highlight that that he'd been uh, he'd been very cautious. Yeah. He had a particular uh, purpose in mind that was exactly you know, doing doing good, not not doing anything bad. And and I'm sure that that inf- they already have that information, and it's almost in some ways a bit of an insurance policy. But um, yes, you know, it'll um, watch the space. I, I, honestly, I think this thing's going to take a long, long time to play out. And and you're right, there's there's some interesting implications here. Just the GCSB things that have been going on. Um, we live in an interesting world, and I think just in the last couple of weeks, the cover's been peeled back a little bit for for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the population to see maybe how things operate under the covers. And I think a lot of people won't be comfortable with that. Part of the issue, though, I think, is that the general populace probably doesn't understand the ramifications of what is being discussed here, what the potential impact could be for them as individuals. And you know, I, th- I think that we actually need to delve into this a little bit more. And I hope the uh, the you know the mainstream media reporting on it does dive in, and that we see more you know more coverage through uh, you know t- TV and uh, you know and broader broader media. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if we don't. Um, for a couple of reasons, I think a it's a bloody good story, and for that reason, I think we'll see a lot more reporting on it. But even from the point of view of journalistic freedom, I think it has all sorts of implications. Let's just assume that every secret source that every journalist in the USA has ever had for the last seven years actually isn't. And um, what does that mean for journalism? And, I, you know, I saw someone the other day saying, you know, maybe this is the event that kicks off the American spring, you know, talk about the Arab spring and yeah. some of the things there. Um, you know, America's always, pri- you know, the population of America has always prided itself as, as being a land where freedom and liberty are, um, you know, paramount considerations and um, no matter which side of the political fence you come from those are those are in, intrinsic in, in American culture mm. um, and to discover that the the president that they thought was the guy that was leading them out of the mess that Bush created is actually the guy that sustained some ter- what appear to be some terrible um, police state surveillance techniques I think will wake a lot of people up over there you know so um, I'm, I'm sure that this might be a bit of a watershed event for a lot of people to just get out and think a bit differently around what is going on out there and what they want to do about it, the, the world they want to live in. There you go. Well, we could we could keep going on this because there, there, <laughs> there are a whole lot more sort of angles to take in areas that, that could be covered, but we'd better, uh, we'd better soldier on with some of the other topics because uh, the, the last few days and, and uh, the last 24 hours in particular has been absolutely insane for... Uh, for things happening in uh, in the tech world, and and not uh, not just with uh, you know Prism, uh, we had uh, well last week we had the BlackBerry Z uh, Z10 and had a little bit of a hands-on with that. I've been playing with that over the last few days. Um, I don't think we probably got time to dive uh, too much into into uh, that, but those that are that are very very keen to um, uh, 
hear more about the Z10, there's plenty of coverage online, and, and we'll try and cover that off uh, maybe in the next week or two. Uh, now, Intel last week started, uh, I guess, really the bulk of the information uh, started coming or, or came out on uh, on their new Haswell uh, chips, uh, the new CPUs that are uh, that are going to land in uh, uh, PCs and laptops and 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 tablets. Uh, and the biggest announcement uh, really around those uh, today, I think, was uh, the new uh, the new MacBook Air. Now, Brett, what's uh, what's your take on this uh, this new MacBook? It uh, it seems as though Apple have uh, some sort of backroom deal going on with uh, with with Intel because all the info that uh, that we had was that these uh, uh, the the initial uh, chips in this uh, sort of fourth generation from uh, from Intel uh, the chips that were really designed for the thin and light laptops and tablets. Are, uh, are not available just yet, uh, but uh, today Apple announced that uh, the new MacBook Air is out and uh, could be uh, could be ordered immediately and shipping within 24 hours. Uh, and uh, these definitely use the uh, the very latest generation uh, chips and uh, bring a very thin and light new uh, uh, version of the MacBook Air uh, laptop to the market. With uh, I think their 13 inch model, they're talking up to 12 hours battery life and up to nine hours battery life in the in the 11 inch. This is quite uh, quite revolutionary for a um, you know a laptop to be able to deliver these sorts of uh, you know periods to go without uh, without charging and and deliver a um, you know, reasonable level of performance. Hell yeah! I mean, um, the original MacBook Air was just a, a massive revelation when it came out. I remember people just blown away at, at what you could cram into something that was you know half an inch thick or thereabouts um, and it looks like they've they've done it all again the Haswell chipset's really interesting I read an article um, last week where um, one of the Intel guys was saying that um, this is probably the biggest step up they've made in performance battery life and a bunch of other things ever in, in the history of, of, of their chipsets which I think is an amazing um, claim to make so you know they're obviously very very buzzed about uh, what what they can deliver, and and the fact that Apple's the first, by by the look of it, the first cab out of the rank, um, is quite a coup for them, um, and and particularly the price points. I don't know if you saw the price points, but I think the eleven inch model is nine ninety nine US, and mm. is it a thousand ninety nine for a thirteen inch model? And no doubt they they get very expensive as you add various bits and pieces to them. Yeah, no, yep. they're actually very very reasonably yep. uh, you know priced, uh, in, in, you know, including here you know in New Zealand once we add. Uh, GST in you're talking a starting price for the uh, the 14 inch with 128 gig of um, SSD storage or flash storage at uh, 1449 and the uh, 13 inch model at um, uh, 1589 for the 128 now not many people are probably going to uh, want that smaller amount of um, storage uh, but 1899 for the 13 inch with 256 gigs wow. of, uh, of storage now the point uh, to be made is part of the way they uh, uh, they make these so slim and light is that it is the very um, uh, least power hungry of these new uh, core i5 uh, processors so it's a 1.3 gigahertz dual core um, processor uh, which can turbo boost up to 2.6 gigahertz, but it's uh, yeah, it's a lot uh, uh, slower than uh, yeah, pro- you know, virtually all of the, all of the other uh, uh, you know competing products in the market. Um, 
that would be my my take on it anyway. I don't think anyone else is doing anything sort of lower than that one point one point three gigahertz. But they still perform from what we can what we can see, and we'll get our hands on uh, you know fairly shortly. Uh, they still perform pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I've used a couple of Macs in the past. I have to be honest and say that I um, got them in through Windows on them straight away. Uh, but I was at Microsoft, so it was almost <laughs> probably my contract that I had to. All right, right. Uh, but the performance of their hardware's always impressed me. You know, they they make really good hardware. Um, and and to be honest, I'm I'm in the market for a laptop at the moment. I might actually go and get a, a MacBook Air and and um, and again throw Windows on it because I tell you what, Windows Seven or Windows Eight on top of Apple hardware absolutely hums. The one twenty eight gig um, SSD thing is interesting. That machine sitting on my lap right now is a, is a Dell XPS 13 um, it's got a 128 gig drive on it I think there was okay. about a, just over 100 of it available, there was a backup petition um, which I don't think I've got rid of yet, um, I must admit I get pretty close to maxing it out but just using Dropbox or SkyDrive or whatever um, and trying not to save too many you know, 500 megabyte PowerPoints or, or anything like that to it um, I've never once maxed it out I've, and I've got a lot of stuff on here. I've got three email accounts on it. I've got a ton of junk on it, um, and it's still, you know, it's it's um, as I said, haven't maxed it out yet. So um, those MacBook Airs are looking quite attractive, actually. Mm, mm. No, very very nice, uh, very nice looking um, machine. Certainly, when we compare it with the the new Ultrabook spec from uh, from Intel, it doesn't uh, doesn't match up because uh, Ultrabooks will need to have a touch uh, touch screen. Uh, so that's one area where uh, where Apple aren't uh, aren't playing. And yeah, as far as running Windows eight, I think that's going to be uh, something that people are, are now going to just sort of expect as the uh, as the norm. So Intel have sort of set that bar. And they've invested quite heavily in in assisting uh, the manufacturers to be able to uh, deliver these touch screens. I know they've, uh, they've you know they've been quite involved in uh, in that that process. Now on the on the other side of what uh, of what Intel are, d- are doing with uh, with the, these new uh, CPUs with the new Haswell chips, we've got uh, a couple of the MV uh, laptops here, Brett. We were having a look at earlier. Now these are using the chips that are or the, the processors that are available uh, immediately because you know the understanding was that these uh, the the new uh, processors for the the really thin and light machines weren't going to be broadly available. But obviously Apple's done uh, done done some sort of deal with with Intel to get uh, hands on quickly. Uh, but yeah, we've got the fifteen, which is a fifteen point six inch screen, and the NV seventeen. Now these machines are. Uh, they're just beasts, aren't they? They're extremely uh, powerful, uh, powerful systems. Um, now you're a bit like me. You like to have quite a small, thin and light uh, laptop to to use. But uh, do you think these will be uh, be attractive, sort of home use gaming, uh, gaming and the and the like? I think they'd be great gaming devices. You'd need a heavy transport license if you wanted to move them around. But <laughs> um, they're beautiful, absolutely beautiful laptops. The finish on them is fantastic. The keyboards have a full numeric keypad. Um, so maybe it's maybe they're aimed at accountants. I don't know, but um, they look like beautiful pieces of kit. They are not light pieces of kit, um, but they are good-looking machines. And I would imagine the screen resolution on them is pretty good. So the the big ones are seventeen, right? I mean, that's an amazing piece of glass to have on a on a oh, laptop. Yeah. You know, so yep. gaming, 
accounting and <laughs> the 15 inch uh, is, is touchscreen as well okay um, so we, we really are starting to see touch become uh, become mainstream because HP has been selling the MV15 for uh, you know for a number of years yeah. now uh, but uh, yeah the, the, the 15 uh, the one we're looking at here has uh, 2.7 gigahertz uh, core i7 uh, 4800MQ is the is the processor, a terabyte of disk, uh, 8 gigs of uh, DDR3 RAM, uh, and uh, yeah, that 15.6-inch um, uh, uh, LED display, and uh, NVIDIA um, graphics, Bluetooth, and, and, and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, the, these are uh, these are pretty uh, pretty fast and yeah, stonking well machines if if you need that. But uh, it's going to be at least a few weeks until we see uh, anyone competing with Apple in the uh, the the you know the the idea of uh, thin and light. Uh, Intel-based yeah. um, based laptops. And that's that's absolutely what I'm waiting mm. for. The touch thing is really interesting. Just to just to backtrack a little, um, I know Apple have come out a number of times. In fact, I think Steve Jobs came out himself and said that you know touch on a on a PC or or, or a laptop was pointless and no one would want it. Um, and as someone that started out, um, you know, using touch devices a, a while back and slates and iPads and surfaces and other things, we've now at home got a. Um, an all-in-one uh, HP device that's got touch, and and I'm not sure I could go back. It's just become so intuitive that you know when I'm looking at something on the screen that I kind of jab my finger at it if I want to expand it or flick it past or scroll it or something like that. And so on this Dell, which doesn't have touch, I've got finger splodges all over it where I'm looking at something in a browser and I go to flick it up and realize, oh, hang on, it doesn't have touch on it. So um, I think, um, and I, I suspect we're probably going to talk about iOS 7 a little bit further down the track, but when it comes to um, um, imitation being the sincerest form of flattery, it'll be very interesting to see the day that Apple decide they need to imitate what's happening on the Windows side of things with regard to touch on, on laptops because I think people will quite quickly get used to it and having a range of laptops that don't have touch on them, i.e. the Apple hardware, mm. I think will start to become a hindrance, not a, not a feature. Yeah, I'm really curious what uh, you know what Apple's next steps are going to be in those regards. Now, um, jumping back to Apple, the the other announcement, and this is something we've been waiting a long, long time for, uh, or certainly those that are uh, that work at the sort of the professional end of uh, of Mac usage in terms of uh, audio editing and and video editing and those sorts of things. Um, it's really been a number of years since we've seen a major update to um, Apple's Mac Pro. Yeah. Now, you know, this was always really the workhorse. Even for graphic designers, the Mac Pro was uh, was the machine of choice that, uh, that, that people used. And really, in recent years, people have gone to the iMac because the iMac keeps getting more and more powerful uh, and have... Um, you know, started avoiding the Mac Pro because it just hasn't uh, hasn't been moving forward at you know at the pace that we would expect. Uh, but today there was uh, a fairly um, major announcement. We we I guess there was a little bit of a hint that something was coming last year. I think it was Phil Schiller uh, that mentioned, "Hey, a, a new Mac Pro is is on its way." Uh, but that was going on towards a year ago now. Um, so uh, very pleasing, I think, for uh, for those real power users. Uh, to be able to um, see that this uh, new new Mac Pro is uh, is on its way, it's an amazing looking device. I don't know if you go to apple.com slash Mac hyphen Pro, um, it'll it shows you the thing. I have to say, is the and the, the website's beautiful, um, but when it loads, it looks to me at first glance like one of those big ashtrays they have sitting at the side of the ele- uh, of an elevator uh, in, in American hotels. <laughs> um, 
and, and you can just imagine the day that someone rocked on up to the guys at Apple and said, we've worked out the next Mac Pro and it's going to be a cylinder. And all the guys going, you have got to be kidding me. How are we going to build this thing? So I think they've done an amazing job of not just what's inside the box, obviously, but just actually, and you have to admire the Apple guys. You know, they go right out on a limb. And, and absolutely, you know as well as I do, that six months down the track, in fact, they're probably available on Alibaba.com now, there'll be lots of PC cases coming out and that'll be cylindrical. Right? That'll look exactly that, like that. In fact, there, there was a tweet, trays, a tweet today, and I can't remember who put it out there. It might have been Paul Ferrot. And, uh, yeah, he, he had a picture of uh, maybe it was a was a rubbish bin and was saying, hey, this is just right for all the PC modders that want to, uh, you know, make a custom PC that looks yeah. uh, looks a little bit like the uh, the the Mac Pro. Now, in in terms of uh, you know specs and so on, uh, we're we're talking a twelve core uh, CPU from uh, from Intel. This is a new uh, Xeon uh, processor that, that's really aimed at servers, uh, very you know high end servers. Uh, but that's that's just going to be a standard part of this. Uh, it's going to have the next generation of the Thunderbolt uh, connectivity, uh, w- which of course we've seen Thunderbolt one in the um, in the iMac and and MacBook Pros uh, for the for the last um, year year or two now. Uh, and so this is the next generation that doubles the throughput, and um, you'll be able to plug up to three uh, 4K displays into it. Now, of course. You know, virtually nobody is is selling monitors of this, you know, of a four K resolution uh, just yet. And you know, in fact, you know, it's mostly been touted in these large eighty four inch uh, eighty four inch TVs. Uh, but that's super high definition uh, screens just uh, lo- looks uh, looks pretty phenomenal from um, you know from a specification perspective, and uh, also includes the new. Uh, uh, Wi-Fi standard, the AC, which we're starting to see the sort of gigabit, so-called gigabit uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, so yes, some pretty impressive uh, hardware coming uh, coming through there. Are you going to be uh, lining up for one of these, Brett? You got no. any use for it? No, I don't smoke. So <laughs> no, I, I won't. Um, but I bet a bunch of people out there in the design world absolutely will be. I mean, what an incredible piece of hardware! It just, I mean, I don't think they've announced any pricing yet, and I'm sure it'll be. We're, we're still, yeah, a few bits of information we're still waiting I think on. I think they're, they're kind of like Rolls Royces. If you have to ask the price of, of how much they are, you can't afford them, kind of thing. Just, just as an aside, and, and just going back to what I was talking about before, if you go to that website, um, apple.com/slash/mac-pro, and just start paging down and have a look at what a beautiful piece of design the website is. So it's a one of those long continuous web pages but it doesn't scroll like a long continuous web page it actually it's very cleverly done let me have let me have a look have i'm a look. Uh, i'm very i'm very curious now so you get when you get there you see the ashtray and then if you hit the down button and just nice, scroll down nice a bit, and animated be- beautiful animation it's just oh yeah that's cool very well done you know that's a good bit of web design so web designers out there go and have a look at how apple built their new web page because it's actually pretty sexy Oh yeah, and it gives you a really nice sort of inside view of the uh, of the cylindrical yeah. uh, Mac Pro that uh, they pull off the uh, the case and in front of you and uh, reveal its uh, secret in its yeah. Um, yeah looks looks very cool up to sixty gigabits per second memory transfer memory bandwidth. It's pretty awesome, isn't no it? No slouch, is it? <laughs> so uh, yeah, so it's going to be good uh, for Tetris. There's there's been there's been a bit of noise today uh, that is swinging in the opposite direction to a lot of the noise we've heard recently around Apple, 
and uh, certainly been a bunch of people saying, look, Apple's lost their mojo, and uh, look look at all the people that are buying Samsung devices. Uh, but as well, so what's been stirring that up today, I think, is not uh, not just these t- new uh, hardware announcements, but uh, two other announcements, iTunes Radio and iOS 7. Now iOS 7 is uh, it looks like a pretty big change for Apple Brett. Yeah, I think it's a huge change. Um I mean, what an interesting marketplace. I, I was did a bit of research for a presentation did a while back uh, recently and um back in and I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head, might have been the late 90s, early 2000s, whatever it was. Um Microsoft owned the smartphone market. They had 42 point something percent share. I think BlackBerry was second in that space and and there was a number of also rands. Um, and how the world's changed, right? Um, and the thing that changed it was the iPhone. And, and Apple, the, I remember when the first iPhone came out, everyone was gobsmacked at, at the hardware, which was just beautiful and still is even today. The, the iPhone 3, I think it was back then, is still a beautiful piece of hardware. Um, and the, the operating system, the user interface, the user experience was just completely different. And they went right out on a limb and redesigned things from the ground up. They gra- snatched the rug out from under Microsoft um, and have and have run with it ever since. I think if you look at what Android have done, very clever. It's effectively a, an iOS clone from a user experience perspective. It's changed um, over time, but certainly when it first came out, that's what it was. When Microsoft re-entered the market with Windows Phone, they couldn't really be the third or the second clone and the third runner in that space. So they went and did Windows Phone, which looks very very different. And I don't, you've no doubt seen the the latest versions of that it looks incredible and ios 7 looks incredibly similar to windows phone and i think that is a bit of a feather in the cap for microsoft i think they really did um do some quite leading edge stuff um in order to compete they haven't grabbed much market share back they're, they're fighting tooth and nail for it and that's a tenacious business with a lot of money in the bank they'll keep fighting tooth and nail so i think it's just fantastic when you get three major players in the marketplace you know samsung i guess with with android Apple with iOS and Microsoft with Windows Phone, all innovating, you know, at light speed to get amazing products to market. You just look at the the pace of change in this area is just incredible. So, I think Apple had no choice but to innovate around iOS. I think it was, to be honest, it was looking the tightest of the three operating systems by a long shot. And this buys not some, not that it was looking bad. No, not that it was looking bad, but it's just that comparative thing, isn't it? It's no one realised how sort of pedestrian Windows Phone looked all those years back until the iPhone came out. No That's one realised how um, you know pedestrian iOS looked like until Windows Phone came out. And it's just that classic thing of. It's not that these things kind of age before your eyes. It's just someone brings in something new that look, makes you look at the other thing in a, in a different light. Um, and no doubt Microsoft will do it to Apple and Apple will do it to Microsoft and Samsung or Android and Google will do it to everyone else. So I think it's just fantastic time to be in this space and with all this innovation going on, you know, the prices are coming down, the, the performance is skyrocketing, the functionality of these devices is incredible. I mean, I don't, I don't even think anymore about... I was somewhere the other day and I had to put an address into my phone and, and you know, load the map up. In fact, it was driving between um, Hamarana down near Rotorua and, and Tauranga. I had to find a, a place off the beaten track in a, in a, sub, a place called Oropi. Um, sitting in the back of the beyond with only a couple of bars of coverage, found the address, found the map. I was all of about a mile away from the place, drove there, and, and it was only when I drove into the driveway of this place I thought, my God, how things have changed in just a decade. In fact, not even that. And how hard would it have been to do that in the old days, especially well, if you didn't have a map on you, you would be completely stuffed, it, right? It, that's it. And ju- just the, the functionality that these things enable is just absolutely amazing. The computing power that they contain is better than a PC these days. You know, the 
it, it, absolutely, um, and, and we take, we're so quick, particularly in the tech um, industry, to take these things completely for granted. But I think every once in a while it's really interesting just to go, you know, what was I doing 10 years ago today and what would this have looked like if I had this thing in my hand then? And I just think it's absolutely incredible, you know. So it's one of the things I love about the industry. I never cease to be wowed by it. You know, the day you get bored or you're a bit blasé about things like that, it's probably time to get out and smell the roses a bit. Mm. But, you know, so just going right back to the iOS 7 thing, I think they've done a stunning job. It looks gorgeous. It's it looks very similar to how it did before. It's a it's a it's a bunch of icons laid out in a grid on the screen. They didn't spend a lot of time thinking that you know changing that too much. I bet they will at some stage. Um, you know, live tiles and all that sort of thing are, are pretty darn cool on a mobile device, and I'm sure Apple will head down that path at some stage. But it looks beautiful, and again, it just shows that Apple you know they they understand design. It's just intrinsic in their values and their culture. And they do a really great job of that stuff. Yeah, I, I really like the uh, the you know the flat look of it, uh, the, uh, and there are a whole yeah there are a whole bunch of sort of features as as there is with any uh, you know Apple release that uh, you know just makes it that much uh, that much better, uh, and yeah I th- I think this is this is something that's really going to uh, stir up the the followers and the users of uh, of Apple devices and is going to help them uh, you know help keep them in the fold uh, and. Yeah, I guess that you know some of the things that uh, that's that stood out. Um, iTunes Radio that yeah. was the other announcement today that was yep. al- alongside it, but it um, you know but it but it ties in uh, you know pretty closely. That to me seems uh, seems like a very smart move from Apple. They're not first in, and they you know this is often the case. They're not the first player into a particular um, area, uh, but iTunes Radio. There's a free offering available immediately across a you know a, a, well virtually every Apple device. Uh, you know Apple TV. Yep. Uh, you know on on your laptop, on your on your desktop, um, on your iPhone, on your iPad, etc. I mean, it's just just so broad. People are going to jump straight on that and use the free product. And then if you're buying uh, or if you have the iTunes Match subscription, uh, then even better because there are no ads and. If you don't have that, but you don't want the ads, that uh, match subscription is only forty dollars a year in New yeah. Zealand, so it completely undercuts, uh, you know, every other offering in this area. Now, there, there are a few of the details that we, we probably haven't heard yet in terms of, you know, what's missing from the, uh, you know, from the music catalog and so on. What won't they be able to include in that? But it seems like they've done most of the deals that they needed to do with the record labels to, uh, to give a pretty broad access to, uh, to you know, to to the music catalog. It, it seems really good. Uh, the only area which probably no surprise to anyone is that. Uh, you know, you can really only use it on an Apple device, uh, other than via iTunes on yeah. uh, on on Windows. I, I think there's a few interesting points in that. So the first thing is, I think one of the real dynamic changes that's happened over the last five years is, I suspect these days record labels do deals with Apple, not the other way around. Um, you know, the the um, power in that relationship's definitely flipped in Apple's favour, which I think has been an incredible. Um, move on their part a deliberate move on their part and I think you know again just um, testament to Steve Jobs vision around um, where the industry was at and where it could potentially be they've wielded a pretty big stick and I'm sure they continue to do so Um, you talked about um, you know Apple not being first to this I was actually racking my brains to think about something Apple have been first to I'm not sure there's a heck of a lot of things what they don't necessarily do first very well but they do better really well um, you know, they took the MP3 player and invented the iPod. They took the smartphone and came out with the iPhone. You know, they, there's, you know, they were the first guys out with an ultrabook. They, you know, oh, there's a first. Um, they, they, they take something, 
uh, they look at something, they, they have a vision for where it's going to go, and they've got an uncanny ability to build a better experience. And, you know, I've used, I'm using an iPhone again at the moment. I've used Windows Phone. I love using that as an example. I absolutely love my Windows Phone. I think it's a fantastic piece of hardware. I think the operating system and the user experience on it is superior in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's very different. So it's an Apple versus you know orange kind of comparison. But I think it's better in a lot of ways. I think where Microsoft let themselves down on that is some of the experience stuff. You know, this service is available in this country, but not this country. It's coming to this country soon. And all that sort of stuff used to really irk me, whereas Apple have a tendency to kind of go, ta-da, everywhere instantaneously. Yeah, but um, they have, I mean, they haven't done that with everything. But they, no, they haven't they, with everything. They've, but they've been much more successful at that globalisation yep. uh, story than anyone else. And uh, one example I was discussing with, with someone today is... You know, when iOS seven becomes available, it becomes available everywhere. Yeah. Right. When there's a new update for yep. the iPhone, if there's an update for a Windows phone or an Android, uh, on Android you may or may not get it depending on who the device manufacturer is, who your local, uh, you know, cellular provider is. You know, all of those yep. things with Windows phone, uh, it's maybe not quite as hit and miss, uh, but. You know, there it's much more yeah. uh, um, structured. There's more more delays and Agreed. so on. But but with Apple, when this yeah. comes out, uh, they've 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 got all of the mobile carriers. You know, arrangements uh, so well organised that uh, they're not, they're not going to get held back when they say it's ready to go. Yeah. It's ready to go, and and Vodafone can't put up their hand and say, "Hey, we don't like this." Sorry, it's uh, yep. everyone gets it. Yeah, and and that's again Apple wielding the big stick. They know how to do that. They've got the power on those relationships, and they tell the mobile carriers what's going to happen. You know, come hell or high water. And, and I think um, again, it's because Apple think about the experience. It, it, they've just got they from the from the get go. Whatever product they build, they think about what that overall experience is going to be, and they they. You know, and that's everything. It's not just how something will work functionality-wise or whatever it might be, or the user experience, or the user interface. They think about how the update process will work and what what does it feel like if you're a user and you can't get the update in in New Zealand, but you can in Australia and all that sort of thing. Um, and they do a really good job of that, and I really admire them for that. I think just the their culture of putting the user at the absolute centre. You know, they they start with start with why. Um, mm. And, you know, it, it just filters through everything. And I think it's just given them this incredible culture and this incredible competitive advantage. And, and you know, the most highly competitive marketplace on the planet, I think they're now, is it the second or third most valuable company on the planet? Their share price has taken a bit of a hammering recently. They got, you know, gazillions of dollars in the bank, mm. armies of loyal, you know, millions and millions of loyal fans. Um, it says a hell of a lot for what they build and how they build it yeah yeah no they're doing great uh with 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 some of these announcements today and and you know we're talking about them losing their mojo this is uh certainly a release i think uh yeah a lot of people have been saying hey they're uh you know they're they're back in the spotlight with some great stuff um a couple of the other things that stood out with ios 7 uh this uh you know control center which just allows you to flick on and off a you know a whole bunch of features uh really easily looks uh that looks great uh very very simple addition uh but but easy to do uh you know flick on to uh onto onto uh airplay um you know, you've just got access to turn your Wi-Fi on and off. Uh, you know, airplane mode. Do not disturb. You know, get get your uh, your audio playing. Um, you know, turn turn on the uh, the the torch. That that stuff's really good. That it's just so easy and so quick to get to. Yeah. Um, airdrop now. 
what do you think of this? Have you uh, have you had yep. a look, look at that? The ability just so quickly and easily uh, share, files. Yeah, share files. Now we seem to be seeing this happening, you know, to a degree across the the various uh, mobile platforms. But from what I can see, Apple uh, have. Um, one of the easiest ways of doing it, um, you know, without uh, near-field communications in their uh, in their device, this uses uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, it seems to be a pretty quick and uh, quick and easy way to uh, to share stuff around. It's pretty smart. I understand it's um, iPhone five and up only, so iPhone four and previous um, it won't work on. I mean, it looks like quite a smart idea to me, and it's just again, it's just that usability thing. It'll become a de facto standard. You know, it's just. One of those cool little features that I bet they implement, you know, beautifully, and it'll it'll people will start to use it. I think it was really interesting what you were just saying before about the control center thing, and you can turn the torch on. You could just imagine when they did this announcement today, there was a hundred app manufacturers that do a torch app, going, "Ah, oh, damn." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple of other interesting things in in, in the announcement too. And j- just as an aside, Apple.com/slash/iOS/slash/iOS7. There's a bunch of stuff um, up there about um, some of the changes, but. Um, an interesting one that got buried that I tweeted about earlier today is that they're ditching Google for Bing in Siri. So that's, I think that's an interesting move. You know, Apple making, uh, distancing themselves at speed and very blatantly, obviously, um, from Google. So I think that... Well, that was a move they, they started last year, wasn't it? With, uh, with, with releasing their own maps, yeah, and they sort of stumbled a little bit with no, they stumbled uh, a lot <laughs> with, with with that. Uh, but you know, maps seems to have mo- moved along, uh, you know, since that time. But it seems very very clear that uh, you know, Apple really have um, you know a hatred towards Google. Uh, towards Google. And, this and is, is this it, is not uh, this is not a sort of a uh, you know just a light thing that they're uh, that they're doing. They're, no, they are a, really upset. Yeah. And and you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They're butting up with Microsoft. I mean, isn't isn't that interesting? They're, they're just going back to experiences and things. One of the thing, one of the things I would love to see Apple do and actually get right is to release a version of iTunes for Windows that doesn't suck spectacularly. Um, and if anyone from Apple is listening today, if you could just go and have a look at what the Zune interface looks like on Windows and just like go and copy that, that would be wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, fascinating. I don't think that's going to happen anytime. Uh, I'm not holding my breath. Soon, Brett. But, um, yeah, inter- interesting suggestion. So, yeah, there, it's definitely worth, if, you, if you're interested in uh, in the iPhone, iOS, uh, have have a look around the Apple site because there's a whole, uh, you know, a whole bunch more there and lots and lots of coverage online or oh, yeah um so so many uh, so many features but it looks good um i guess what one of my concerns around the likes of airdrop is that we're we're seeing a real sort of splintering and uh, you know this is one thing that that uh, i guess is the downside of the competition is that uh, you know different vendors will sort of uh, um, you know close in around their own products, and you know AirDrop's going to work on Apple products, but if you're on something else, you're you're kind of yeah, stuffed. This isn't going to be uh, likely be an, an open uh, standard that's going to be available on on other platforms. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess in the same way with, with Samsung and other uh, uh, other Android uh, you know devices where you can uh, you know tap to share and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's one that, of those. that doesn't that doesn't work with Apple. So we, we're going to keep seeing more of these uh, these things where you can't easily talk from uh, I, from I one platform so. to another. Look, I, I think the best example I can think of that um, is iMessage, which is um, I mean must be gutting um, carrier SMS revenues worldwide. You know that you can all of a sudden start sending your 
text messages via iMessage, they turn up in exactly the same place as your text messages do. They're just color-coded differently. Um, you know, they haven't released any clients for that for Windows, for example, or for other phones. And if I was in the chief executive of Apple, nor would I. It's a competitive advantage and a clever one. And I think AirDrop and other things will be the same. You know, you want to build some competitive advantage. Over time, they might, over time, they might open those things up. I don't know. You know, it's not really been Apple's tendency in the past. Um, they tend to build um, walled gardens, you know, beautiful, wonderfully functional, gorgeous, lush walled gardens, but they're walled gardens. And, and I don't think we'll see that change anytime soon because I don't see people marching in the streets about wanting more openness from Apple. You know, they, they've got lots of loyal followers um, and they're loyal for a reason. And those people really don't care about whether, you know, someone with an Android phone or a Windows phone can't share files via AirDrop. They'll just tell them to go and buy an iPhone. Yep, yep. No, I think uh, you you got some some fair points there. Uh, I I think uh, the 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 time ahead with the next iPhone, um, it's it's going to be fun just to see how Apple actually go because in terms of uh, you know market share, that has been really changing across you know all of the vendors uh, in uh, in the areas of mobile um, you know mobile phones, smartphones. Uh, and and tablets, and I think if we look uh, twelve months out, you know, with what's been announced today, uh, I think it's still sort of anyone's guess exactly what direction uh, you know the the market shares are sort of going to go. We're seeing you know Microsoft growing quite rapidly, but from a very very small market share with uh, with Windows Phone. There's really I think still a lot of unknown around uh, you know how broadly people will adopt uh, Windows you know from a tablet perspective. And how much that might impact Apple, uh, but this this certainly helps uh, you know put put Apple uh, in a in a stronger position than what they were uh, than what they were yesterday. Yeah, uh, that whole um, space is just incredible to watch play out. Um, you know, there's all these naysayers around Windows 8, and you know the hate the user interface and bring back the start button. I you know I like the start button, and I've bought Start 8 and put it on my machines. I prefer to use it that way. I understand it's coming back in 8.1. Um, it's really hard when you're at the bleeding edge of particularly design, user interface design, you're going to make some missteps, right? And Microsoft and Apple are at the bleeding edge of that. Um, you know, so it's it's really easy to be the third guy, the fourth guy and the fifth guy waltzing through the jungle behind the guy with the machete leading the way. But, you know, the, <laughs> the Apples and Microsofts of this world are wielding the machete and leading the way. And they'll, they'll make some missteps, but never, ever underestimate, uh, you know, incredibly smart companies full of incredibly smart people with massively deep pockets and and incredible levels of tenacity right that's that's a recipe for success i remember being at a microsoft conference i don't know eight years ago six eight years ago when you know xbox still hadn't fired and xbox live wasn't still you know it was bleeding red ink left right and center it looked horrible on all the all the annual reports um you know and and i remember arguing at the time you know why are we doing this you know microsoft doesn't need this it's not making any money I will hereby officially eat those words and 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 just note that you know they stuck that out and um, you know Microsoft have incredibly deep pockets and they are really tenacious so never ever write them off um, because I think that's a bad move they've proved time and time again they can come back um, and and they will and and to be honest they still have a truckload more installed base out there on Windows than than Apple do by a long shot um, and you know if Windows 8 isn't right 8.1 will be better. 8.5 will be better than that. 9 will be better. You know, it's the iterative thing. And Apple, again, are just taking it, you know, um, they've got that massive installed base out there. They can't change things instantaneously. It's the innovator's dilemma. 
they go and annoy, what, 600 million iOS users or whatever. That's not going to work. So they have to take things carefully as well. But, again, just all of this innovation and all this investment going into these um, devices and these user interfaces just bodes incredibly well for the future. Mm, absolutely. Now, a uh, couple of other uh, other things. In the last week, we've had confirmation on this uh, new uh, Samsung Galaxy S4 Active, uh, w- which is one we've discussed in the in the past, but that's been confirmed by uh, by Samsung. So this will be sort of a waterproof, dustproof, uh, you know, a bit more robust uh, Galaxy S4. So that's that's coming through uh, in in the next few weeks. We uh, we hear. Uh, and uh, then there's uh, there's E3, which is the big uh, gaming yeah. conference um, take, taking taking place in uh, um, in the US at the moment, and quite a bit of information that's come out uh, on that today. All the announcements through from uh, from Microsoft and Sony, in particular around uh, Xbox. Uh, one and the PlayStation Four, uh, so we've had we've had some of those details have uh, have come through. Now we're really going to cover off the details of those in a separate uh, podcast episode, uh, focus more on E3. So tune in uh, tomorrow. We'll we'll have uh, we'll have that one uh, online um, probably a day following this this podcast, uh, and we'll delve into uh, to talking through all those those details. Uh, the price announcements and and, and so on. Uh, what we know today is that the uh, the Xbox One is going to be available uh, in New Zealand in November. Uh, they haven't given an exact uh, date uh, just yet. And what else have we got? Uh, we've got a price through on the Xbox One at seven hundred seven hundred and forty nine dollars. Uh, so that's I think that's uh, about fifty dollars cheaper than what the Xbox 360 was when it launched in New Zealand. Uh, I guess a lot of time's gone gone by uh, in between, but that also includes their uh, um, you know Connect camera. Yeah. Um, so yeah, quite a quite a different uh, quite a different uh, device overall. What do you think about that price point, um, Brett? Is that an appropriate level to launch an entertainment uh, device at? Is it going to sell in uh, in bucket loads? I'm sure, so the answer to the last bit is yes, um, but of course the trick with that is is maximising your your yield curve, right? So at the beginning it'll be priced a bit higher, to and there'll be all those people that rush out and buy them on day one and queue up in the you know on the street corners to to buy them uh, when the shops open, and then over time as that. Um, demand decreases the price will come down to to drive that back up and um, i mean it's just a consumer electronics device and that's how those things work you know price wise it's the price of a of a you know mid-range television uh, you know i don't think anyone's going to um, bat too many too many eyelids at, at the overall price the functionality of of the xbox one looks absolutely incredible i mean you know five years ago someone had said to me microsoft alone in the living room i would not necessarily have bought that but now I think they're moving pretty close towards it and I think you know the guys missing from the space right now are Apple interestingly right you know there's been all that talk of Apple TV and the other things but well the little Apple TV box oh, the little con- Apple, continues the, the to you know to, but I mean to, the full size television yeah Apple. continues to sell in the and I've got in one the millions and, I, and you know and I think uh, there are so many there are so many of them out there uh, and, 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 the, and then the announcement today about iTunes uh, radio that just makes the device more yeah, more yeah. useful right uh, a lot more useful yeah ag- agreed um so I, I think you know that space is going is going to be interesting, and you know no doubt Microsoft, particularly in the larger markets, North America, etc., want to replace every other set top box and just have theirs sitting there. And I think that you know it'll be interesting to watch that play out. The new Connect is absolutely amazing. I don't know if you've seen the specs for that, just but the the sensitivity of it, 
um, the ability for it to um, even do things like calculate the load on each leg, uh, which is which is interesting. Um, measure people's pulse rate remotely by um, looking at the colour of this face um, skin changing um, is amazing, frightening. Yeah, um, it's and, pretty. And particularly pretty in light in, of all the prison insane, stuff, Mozzle yeah. recording that and storing <laughs> that as well. Yeah, um, all of your vital statistics and whether you're putting on weight. Um, I, you know, absolutely incredible piece of technology. I mean, that really is amazing. Mm. So, um, yeah, and uh, and Sony, of course, with the with the PlayStation Four, uh, you know, looks like another really nice piece of kit. We've finally seen what it what it looks like uh, today. All that info's online, and that's going to be launched in New Zealand at um, yeah, uh, just under six hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hundred hundred dollars less uh, than the Xbox. Uh, so you know, really, there's 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 quite a battle on because you know both of these products are, are trying to take in the entertainment market and the gaming market. I think Sony are, are, are really trying to say, hey, we're the ser- we're the serious gamers device. Uh, Microsoft are leaning a little bit more towards the entertainment device, but yeah, trying to do uh, you know trying to do yeah both uh, well. A whole lot of controversy, of course, around uh, um, the ability to resell secondhand games yes. and, and loan yeah. and, sh- and share games and so on. So we won't dive into that now we'll save that up for uh, for our special episode uh, but thanks everyone for listening and I know this has been an, this last sort of two or three weeks there's been so much to discuss we've had just some massive episodes so uh, thank you for staying with us and uh, and and enjoying these ones um, within uh, the next week or two we'll probably be back to uh, to shorter episodes <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah in some in some ways we, we hope that's the case but in other ways we hope the uh, the bombardment of uh, exciting and interesting tech stories will uh, will continue keeps us in a job absolutely now uh, Brett where do we track you down online oh there's all sorts of places to track me down online um, I'm uh, at Brett Roberts on um, on Twitter um, you can find me uh, at LinkedIn is probably the best, okay. best place to hunt me down so if you look for Brett Roberts and you find a smiling guy uh, in a check shirt I seem to recall in the picture that's probably me if not I have a doppelganger out there there are a few of us, um, so that's probably the best place to hunt me down. Excellent, and I'm just as easy to track track down via uh, via the the internet, Paul Spain, uh, and Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. So uh, yeah, you're welcome to follow us there, and of course uh, the New Zealand Tech Podcast at nztechpodcast.com or nztechpodcast on on Twitter, and uh, we're on uh, we're on on Google Plus, and uh, NZ Tech Podcast is also on uh, on Facebook. So uh, yeah, we we appreciate being followed on those things, and it's a way to keep up to date with with what's happening uh, in between episodes as well and uh, there's there's certainly a huge amount uh, happening in the tech world right about now all right see ya